Well, we have been spending the last number of weeks in Matthew's gospel as we're making our way through this, this wonderful narrative, and we are, I think we're learning a lot. We're learning a lot about our Savior, we're learning a lot about ourselves, and this afternoon we're going to continue in this series, and if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is, this is a interesting, it is a unique um, account of Jesus being ushered literally into the first steps of public ministry, and it's an account that that is intriguing as well. As I spent the, the last couple of weeks studying this account, um, I, I've learned things I, I didn't expect to learn, and I hope you find the same this morning. So look at chapter 4. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, Angels came and were ministering to him. Lord, this is your word that we humbly submit ourselves to. Lord, we joyfully sit under the authority of your word to us. And we ask that as we read these words, as we study these words, you would just freshen our hope in you and strengthen our love for you. And may we see you in greater depth for the wonderful, gracious God that you are. Please help us this afternoon. Please help me to serve this church that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, interestingly, the, uh, the first question that comes to mind is, how do we know about this story? Jesus and the devil are there, just the two of them. Well, obviously, Jesus must have told his disciples this because this experience is recorded here, and it's recorded for our, our benefit, that we might, I think, learn how to face temptation in our lives. As, as we look 
at Jesus' encounter with Satan, I think it will be helpful to see them in the overall context of Matthew's gospel where the central theme that we've been studying in Matthew's gospel is that of Jesus as the king, the eternal son of God who's, who's come in the flesh to establish his eternal kingdom by redeeming men and women from their sin and rescuing them from the ruler of this world. Now he's writing, again, as Chris might have just mentioned a moment ago, he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And it appears Matthew sees Jesus as a second Moses who comes to deliver God's people out of bondage, who, who was called out of Egypt like Israel was, who was baptized in the Jordan like Israel was baptized in the Red Sea, who spent 40 days, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness as Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. And it is reasonable to think that he is connecting the testing that Jesus is going through with the devil here in the wilderness with Israel's testing when they went through the wilderness for 40 years. And so you, you see this backdrop of the Old Testament being revealed in the New Testament in the life of Christ, and in particular in this, this moment where he is, he is being tested. Like Israel was, that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So we see that, that the Lord tested Israel in the desert to see whether or not they would keep his commandments. And what we see here is where Israel failed. Jesus is victorious. Jesus succeeds. So verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In, in Mark's gospel, Mark says immediately. So this amazing experience. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. His father speaks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately Jesus is in the wilderness. Now how he got there, we, we don't know. Was he transported there? I mean, it, the, the Jordan and the wilderness are, are a distance apart, but, but we know that Mark says immediately, and Matthew and Luke use, use the word then to, to denote it happened right away. And so we know he's, he's immediately in, in the wilderness following his baptism and his affirmation. And here he is in this barren, waterless wasteland to be tempted by the devil. Now these, these temptations were preparation for ones yet to come. They were not only Jesus, they, Jesus only experienced with temptation. And we'll, we'll, we'll understand that more as we, as we read through this passage. But understand for 30 years, because there's, there's a, I think there's, there's a misunderstanding that somehow Jesus, this was his, this was his major temptation. This was, this was kind of it. This was the big deal with the devil. But, but He's the incarnate Son of God, which means he's fully human. He grew up. He was a child, and he was tempted. He was a youth, and he was tempted. And as an adult, he faced temptation. He faced temptation 
daily, just like you and I face temptation. He experienced having to resist temptation like you and I have to resist temptation. He faced this every day of his life. And so this, this experience in the desert is, is just a continuation of what it means to be human, what it means to be a person. And that is what Jesus is experiencing here. That's why the writer of Hebrews 4 can say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so, so now his public ministry begins, and as it begins, he is facing and he is confronting evil in all its strength and all its horror. And what is fascinating is that this just didn't befall Jesus. Matthew says, which again, informed by the Savior himself, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, so imagine Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's telling them, the Spirit led me into the wilderness. That's how I got there. That's how I had this encounter with the devil. That's where I faced the temptation. And it wasn't that I stumbled into the wilderness. It wasn't that the devil chased me down. God led me there. God, my Father, led me into the wilderness to do battle, to do great battle with the enemy of your soul, the enemy of our souls, to do battle for the sake of our souls. These temptations just did not befall him. So now, in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, in this wasteland, he is weary, and he is dusty, and he is weak, and he is hungry, and the devil appears at his weakest moment. At his weakest moment. He's been waiting for Jesus. The devil, the devil has been waiting for him. And so tired and hungry, Jesus in all his humanity has to battle the greatest evil he has ever faced. And don't, don't think for a moment, don't think for one moment that Jesus just stood there, son of God, you know, I've got, I've been just, as Luke tells us, he was, he was filled with the full measure of the Spirit at his water baptism, and he's got it all together. He is human. And these temptations he is facing are real. He is genuinely tempted. He is genuinely tempted by what the devil is trying to, to get at in his weakest moment, in, in Jesus' tiredness, in his, in his dusty, sweaty clothes after spending 40 days and 40 nights fasting. This man is hungry. And his defenses are weakened and down. And now the enemy of his soul, the enemy is tempting him to rebel against his father. That's, that's the, the setting here. And when Matthew writes, and the tempter came, that word came in, in, in the Greek literally means to draw near. In other words, the enemy drew near to him. Now, how he drew near, we do not know. Did, I mean, he, he, 
we read in Scripture that Satan often disguises himself as an angel of light. How did he come? Was he, was he in physical form? Was he in spirit form? We, we don't know. All we know is he was up close and personal. He was in the face of our Savior with these temptations. And while Jesus was the eternal Son of God that we read about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he is fully also one with us in our humanity. And so these temptations are real. He never, he never for a moment divested himself of his deity, but the mystery of the incarnation is he became fully man. And it's as fully man, he felt the same pressures and the same pain and the same sadness and the same weariness and the same temptations that we feel. These, these are real. And while as God he could not sin, he is also a man capable of the infirmities of the flesh. He is capable as a man. It was a man who was tempted. And Satan's strategy at this moment is to attack his humanity, to attack him at his weakest point. Listen, when Jesus arrived on earth, the devil knew his time was short. And so he comes to the Savior, as we read in Revelation 12, he comes to Christ in all his wrath to make war against the people of God, against God himself. That is what is happening at this moment. This is a battle, and oh, what a battle it is. It is a battle that attacks and tempts Jesus and tempts his humanity by trying to get him to use his divinity to go outside the will of God in an effort to destroy God's plan of redemption, to undermine the plan of salvation in Christ's coming. These, these temptations are real because Jesus' humanity is real. He is really hungry. He is really weary. He is really dusty. He is really dirty. And Satan knows just where to go and just what to say to tempt him. And so what he starts with is in verse Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He, he immediately attacks the very thing that just was affirmed in Jesus' life. He attacks his identity, his identity as the son of God, his identity as the beloved son of God. He attacks that identity. He says to him, if you are the Son of God. Now, Jesus has just received his Father's loving affirmation at the Jordan River. He's been given the full measure of the Spirit to fulfill his ministry. And now, surrounded by incredibly difficult circumstances, this wasteland, Satan tries to make him doubt his sonship by questioning God's word. Where have we heard that before? Did God really say And he questions. He questions Jesus' identity because of the circumstances he's in. Oh, have we not experienced that ourselves? He, he talks to Jesus. No father treats his son like this. No father lets his son go hungry. How could you possibly be the son of God? Never, God would never let his real son experience the weariness and the tiredness and the hunger that you're experiencing. Look at you, you're ragged and you're filthy and you're weak. Is this the kind of God you serve? And how often we've experienced that in our own lives when our circumstances have 
seem to have beaten us down and we are tired and we are wearied and we don't think we can go another step and we hear this we hear this voice standing right next to us saying really is this what it means to be a christian is this what it means to follow after god i thought it would be better than this is that, is that what this is the same temptation comes to us satan questions our identity in Christ when we're facing difficult circumstances. How often have you heard these thoughts, I'm, I'm a child of God, yet it doesn't feel like it. Why would he treat me this way? Why would he let this happen to me? Seriously? Am I really a child of God? And Satan tempts Jesus with these thoughts. If you are the Son of God. Oh, if you're the Son of God, you know what? He wouldn't, he wouldn't want you to suffer with your hunger. So, let me give you an alternative. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Command these stones. You're hungry. It's, it's, it's reasonable to feed yourself. And you have the power to do it. You have the power. You can command these stones to become loaves of bread. It's a legitimate need that you, that, that you have. And, and the devil makes it sound so reasonable. And how often has he done that to us? There is a legitimate need. And yet God has not provided and filled that need. And so what do we do? We try and fill that need in our own effort. And, and it creates more trouble for us. And here, this is what Satan is doing to Jesus. He's saying, listen, it's so reasonable. You, you were created by God. And, and as, a human, as, as, as being fully human, you have a legitimate need to be fed. Hunger was something given to you by God. So, so what's wrong with filling that need? What's wrong with, with taking care of this problem on your own? But though he suffered weariness and though he suffered hunger, Jesus knows he is right where God wanted him to be because, as we read in verse 1, Jesus was led there by the Spirit. He is, he is aware that he is in the center of God's will. He is where he is supposed to be. But Satan... He's relentless, and he wants to ruin God's plan, and so he tempts Jesus to ignore God's will to feed himself. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Listen, Satan says to him, you've just spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting and where's the food your father should be providing? And if he hasn't provided it for you, go ahead and take care of it yourself. It is legitimate. It is because you know what? You're human. And you'll die without food. You're human. Surely God doesn't want you to go hungry It may not be food, but we can be tempted to go outside of God's will. How often I have heard, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. God wants me to be happy. 
And that's why I'm divorcing my spouse, because I'm not happy with the one I've got. And so I'm, I'm going to, God wants me to be happy. And as a pastor, I can tell you, I have heard that excuse more times than I can count. Satan tempts to get Jesus to fail as Adam failed by questioning if this is God's best, if you are the Son of God. Listen, if you are the Son of God, listen, did, didn't, didn't we just learn that, that God could turn these stones into children of Abraham? If he can turn the stones into children of Abraham, why, why can't you turn a stone into a loaf of bread? If he's willing to feed these rebellious people in in the wilderness with manna, why would he not feed you with bread? Do it yourself. Make this stone into bread if you really are the Son of God. Prove it. That is what is being blasted in Jesus' ears again and again and again and again. It is relentless. And it's at this moment that Jesus has to decide who is going to be sovereign in his life. God? Satan? Himself? His, his temptation to consider turning a stone into bread is real. He is hungry. He, he can fix the problem if God won't. And we can, we can just often wonder if God cares about our problem at the moment that we are most tempted. And, and Satan is standing right next to us whispering, that's right, he doesn't care. So take care of the problem yourself. All Jesus had to do at this moment was use his divinity and take the authority he had over nature and turn that stone into bread. But he is also aware that doing so at that very moment would ruin the entire plan of redemption for you and me. If he satisfies his hunger in the way Satan suggests, he will disobey his father's will who sent him into that desert to be hungry, to suffer. He led him into the desert so that he would learn suffering, so that it would prepare him for the suffering that was yet to come, a suffering that far exceeded what he was experiencing at that moment. And this suffering at this moment was severe. But what was about to come was even more severe. His suffering in the wilderness had a purpose. And he was called, he was called as we read in Isaiah 42, he was called to be a suffering servant. And so he had to learn how, and this was it. And Satan's deceitful counsel to him is this, you can be the son of God without having to suffer. You can have the crown without the cross. That's what he's telling our Savior. Then in 4.4, Jesus responds. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes 
from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't cave like Adam did. Oh, thank God he didn't. Listen, Adam, surrounded by the glory and abundance of Eden, gave in to the temptation to eat food that he didn't need, while Jesus, weak and hungry in the wilderness, refused to eat the food he desperately needed for our sake. He did this. He suffered for our sake. These temptations in Matthew 4 were crucial in preparing him for what lies ahead, that he might suffer for our sake. Even, even as he suffered these wilderness temptations for our sake in his battle against the devil, uh, his, his temptations did not end here. They, they only grew as, as his ministry went on. If you think about it, Peter at Caesarea Philippi says, no, 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 you can't be crucified. No, no, we shouldn't let you. And, he, and Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew at that moment what was going on. And the crowds in John 6, 15, the crowds wanted to make him king by force. And he wasn't ready to be king because he had yet gone to the cross. Again, they wanted to give him the crown without the cross. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' temptation as, he, as he's kneeling before the Lord and he's saying, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from my lips. And the Lord says, no, it is not my will. And finally, as he's hanging on the cross, these, these refrain from Satan comes one more time when someone shouts out, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. And he does not. His humanity was never an excuse for, his, for him being disobedient. He never let his humanity lead him to disobedience. Fully human and genuinely hungry and suffering, he says this, man shall not live by bread alone. He is, he is declaring his humanity at that moment. He's saying, I am a man and I will not live by bread alone. I will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. He did not lose sight of his father's will. He did not lose sight of the cross, which he would eventually suffer his greatest agony on. Instead, he was secure in his identity as he fought back. As he stood against the devil, he stood with the greatest weapon of all. It is written. He stood against the devil with Scripture. There, there was no debate. There was no discussion. Just the, the will of God revealed in the Word of God. That is how he responded. He refused the temptation by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, and, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This, this should be a great great passage, a great encouragement to each one of us because Jesus is saying, I identify with you. I am a man. I know your suffering. I know what you're experiencing and I want you to know I, I suffered for you that you would not have to suffer. The ultimate, which is the wrath and judgment of God. 
Jesus didn't attempt to satisfy his need in his own way, but trusted his Father even as he suffered, believing that God would care for him in exactly the way he needed to be cared for. That's, that's what he trusted God for. Jesus, Jesus suffered temptation for our sake, brothers and sisters, that we might learn, that we might learn how to overcome our own temptations and our own sufferings. Jesus, listen, Jesus came for us. Jesus lived for us. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose from the dead for us. Jesus will return for us. But we must not miss in this passage that he was tempted for us. And he overcame Satan for us that we might stand against this powerful enemy who is intent on our destruction. Jesus, Jesus assumed our humanity that he might suffer for our sake by living a life we could not live and by dying a death we could not die and winning a victory over the devil, not for himself, but for you and for me. That's why he suffered. That's, that's why he won that victory for us. And now we are united to him in his righteousness, by his righteousness, he came to fight for us and rescue us and to make us aware that we have to fight as well. And that's what we can gather from this first temptation, this passage. We have to fight it as well because we, we have an enemy who is evil and dark and is the ruler of this world, who is hell-bent on our destruction as he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. We must take this enemy seriously. He is not some Halloween caricature. He is real. He is powerful. We don't need to be fearful of him, but we need to be aware of of him. And that is what we can learn from this passage. We must not underestimate his power or his hatred for us. Brothers and sisters, wonderfully, we are freed from the dominion of sin that we read in Romans 6, but we still battle the world, and we still battle the flesh, and we still battle the devil, and we must be clear that the weapons of our warfare, and it is a war that we are in, the weapons of our warfare are not natural, they are spiritual. They're not our own effort, but they are the written word of God. It is our greatest weapon. And it has been given to us by our Savior. Listen, God's word affirms our identity and our union with Christ. In, in 1 John 3, 1, um, we are children of God. See how great a love the Father has for us, that we are called children of God, and such we are. That is our identity. That is who we are in Christ. We can resist the devil, James 4 tells us, because he will, it, we, are, we are united to Christ. And when we resist him, he will flee. Listen, this, this enemy we have works tirelessly to make us doubt God's love. He, he does not stop. And he, and he wants us to attempt in our own effort and our own self-righteousness to battle but when we face this liar, when we face this accuser of the brethren, we can stand in the knowledge that our identity is in Christ. We are united to him. We belong to him. And he has no power of, over us unless we give it to him. 
God's Word also reminds us that, that His humanity, Jesus' humanity, is what has overcome the evil one, which should give us confidence that we can overcome Him as well. If you remember Revelation 12, they overcame Him, speaking of the devil, by what? The word of their testimony, right? And the blood of the Lamb. We have been washed in the blood of Christ. And we have a testimony of, of being saved by Christ. And we have the testimony of God's word that tells us who we are in Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, this, this chapter describes wonderfully Jesus crushing the devil on our behalf for our sake. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to study the other, the other temptations that Jesus faces. But let us, let us not forget what he has done for us. Let us, let us stand firm in, in, in our identity as God stands over us because we are the righteousness of God in Christ and says to us, these are my children whom, who I love and I am well pleased. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us and encourages us and strengthens us and reminds us of who we are in the face of a wicked and evil and powerful enemy, but one that you have overcome for our sake. Oh, Lord, may, may our lives bring glory to your name as we, we live to, to honor you and resist this enemy. In Christ's name, Amen.